0: Thank you, Holly. I think I've told you before, and probably many's a time and oft, that um, this story about Bruce Walkey. Bruce is, um, was a lecturer in Regent College when I was there doing a sabbatical about 10 years ago. And um, there was a Saturday morning conference. It was the FA Cup final as well. And at 9 o'clock, we had to leave Arsenal and Man United and penalties to go and hear Bruce Walkie. But I've got over the pain of that. Um, Bruce then did the whole morning on the book of Proverbs. And he has two commentaries on the book of Proverbs too, I tell you, about this thick. And uh, it was it was amazing. You were sitting, he was going through verses, and you were thinking, wow, the knowledge, the insights. And I turned to my friend uh, Martin and said, now you see, if I'd spent time in Proverbs as much as I'd spent time with you two, I'd be able to do that. And then he said, Yeah, but Bruce isn't doing two lectures on you two and theology next week. And it kind of comforted me a little bit, but maybe not too much. I wouldn't have done Proverbs if I'd taken the time. I would have done Isaiah. There's a book. There's a book that is just so amazing that the great thing about the lectionary is that you can dip into it like this morning without having to take the whole forest on because uh, Isaiah is just uh, so full of so much stuff. It is a theological gem. It's a literary gem. It is just that Old Testament Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. There you see, I spent more time in rock music than I did in Proverbs. So that's the one I would go to. I love chapter 6, where Isaiah meets God in the temple. I, I love uh, chapter 40 and that whole idea of who can measure the world and the earth and how great God is. I love chapter 43, and I've read it with many of you in pastoral situations where when you pass through the waters, they will not sweep over you. How many times have we linked chapter 53 with Christ's cross? And then last year, two years ago at Four Corners, chapter 61, um, the building and rebuilding the walls. And um, now we come to chapter 62, which again has brought much, much insight. And actually, um, I was sitting there thinking about it, and I was thinking, maybe nobody else in the congregation sees any of this, because we're at the front, and we're trying to make the links. I would say if you took this morning's service in a recording, and you broke it apart, you would be absolutely sure of how crafted it was. From the very start in the Psalms to what we said in the announcements, to um, what Christine was saying, and what the video said, to what Paul said, to the songs that we're singing, it all seems so incredibly crafted. We wish, and yet, actually, there is something at work that makes it so. And even in coming to chapter 62 this week, following last Sunday night's um, Brueggemann look at the Psalms, where we looked at Walter Brueggemann's idea of div- d- dividing the Psalms into orientation, Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of reorientation. Isaiah is a book where we find much orientation. Psalm 40. We find, or Isaiah 40, uh, we find much disorientation, even in where we're in chapter 62 and 61 in that post exile. Uh, dating, and to reorientation, which we've already touched on from Christine. I thought she was actually going to preach the sermon at one point, where we become those that God delights in, where we become those who are intimately related with God and how that changes us. Psalm 62. What I love about the psalm that that Holly read for us is the passion of the prophet. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. I am not going to stop. I am going to be resolute in my ministry and in my vision of this city until it comes about. The passion the prophet has for the city drew me time and time again as I spent time in this passage this week to Matthew and what Matthew as editorial says about Jesus. Chapter 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And five chapters later in chapter 14 and verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. There's the compassion and passion linked together in these verses in uh, Isaiah chapter 62, that uh, grabs what I call in that Irish word, my gra, the cardia, the sense of heart, and here's somebody who's just all at it. Life in all its fullness, ministry in all its fullness. I love that about these verses. I use a, a website to get me thinking about all of the readings um, uh, in, our, in our lectionary. And the one other thing I love about my, the lectionary is you can be sitting, uh, having a prayer before the service, and one of your elders, that happened to be Michael that week, prayed almost the sermon, and I'm sitting there going, goodness, that man's, he's in the spirit. That man is so close to God. He even knows what I'm preaching this week. And then I remembered after it, Michael is following my lectionary because you can do that now and um, Christine mentions Isaiah 62 that she's reading this morning, and then she comes to church, and that's what we're reading. This is one of the advantages of the lectionary. Please do take it up and get involved with these lectionary readings, because um, I think it helps us as a community to be pondering the same things. The website I use... Said this under Isaiah 62's commentary this week, and it's where I was then uh, sent off to, where I'm going to try uh, very quickly to, uh, to to unpack today. I think that it's essential in preaching this text to communicate just how necessary it is for Christians to play the role the prophet plays here. The experience of divine abandonment is devastating, both for communities and individuals the experience of divine abandonment is devastating, both for communities and individuals. Just as Zion seemed a sacred place forsaken by the sacred presence, many human beings feel cut off from the love of God, cast off by the divine. In Isaiah 62 verse 1, the prophet promises not to stop talking until Zion is filled with the presence of God once again. In the same way, Christians are called to be just as stubborn in their refusal to allow isolation and hopelessness to have the last word in people's lives. In the same way, Christians are called to be just as stubborn in their refusal to allow isolation and hopelessness to have the last word in people's lives. The solution to darkness and despondency is connection and companionship, a willingness to love and to serve each other. The solution to darkness and despondency is connection and companionship, a willingness to love and to serve each other. That's what I'm called to preach. It's almost done in the call to preach it. I'm not going to go into the detail of Isaiah, but um, for our 1010 spiritual formation group, there would be a one-month series, uh, maybe a two-month series, maybe a whole session of evenings to take us through uh, the prophet Isaiah in more detail. But Isaiah 62, though they can't maybe get the date exactly right, we're in a post-exilic. So they've been off in Babylon that's now now post exile but Jerusalem is feeling the trauma of exile, the post exile trauma. I couldn't happen but to connect it with the post-conflict trauma of our own city. Many people feeling in darkness and despondency around Belfast. Maybe as a city us feeling a little bit dark and despondent. Isolation, disorientation across wider Belfast and Northern Ireland and beyond. I've preached, I think I did a series on it way back, about the five basic needs that we have as human beings. Love, security, sense of significance, hope, and the miraculous or the transcendent. And when I've preached in these, I've used uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall lack nothing. So I've preached them almost as those things that we need in here in Fitzroy as followers. We need to know we're loved by God. We need to know the security of God's love. We need to know the significance that brings to us in the world that we live in. We need to know that there is hope in the gospel, and that even in moments there is a transcendent grace-interrupting breaking in. But it seems to me that what we're called to in Isaiah 62, what the prophet is stubborn and resilient for himself, is that he is now going to go to the people who don't know this love— who haven't this security, who are unaware of their significance, who are living in a hopeless world, and maybe even be the miracle. Be God's hands and heart moving in in the presence of the Word in the neighborhood as we were thinking about at Incarnation, John 1 and 14. And so what Christine was talking about and what we saw in the video, there is the kingdom at work as we see it in chapter 62 of Isaiah. There are people in isolation and desolate, maybe despondent, maybe in darkness and without hope of a changed world. And the teaching of emotional resilience changes them from being those who seem oppressed with the conditions around them to those who can do astonishing things. This is what the writer of Isaiah, this is what the prophet is talking about here. How I am going to stubbornly make sure that those who feel desolate and isolated might be restored to something of value and preciousness. That God would delight in them. That they would see their value in the universe, their value to God, their love within community. Same thing in Uganda, where we don't go into Uganda or Kampala. We go to the part of Uganda that even in Uganda feels cut off and isolated and somehow in the margins. They feel unloved even by their own country and by their own capital city. And you go in there, and you bring a sense of hope and connection and companionship by being presence, the presence of God, where things are hopeless and broken down. Or on Donegal Pass, where we have a building that will soon be ours, wondering as a session what we might do with it. Four Corners Festival, we're going to show a film that was on television. I've probably said this as well before, but I want to say it again and again and again until we listen to this, until we grasp it. It was called um, More Than a Flag. took three young loyalist bandsmen, asked them their story. One of them says these words. I think I might even have said it last week. You associate flutes with a band. Bands are bad, so they say. They're not when you get to know them. He's sitting on a little wall in a garden when he says that. And you can sense the isolation, the desolation, the sense of not being valued in this young man's life. There's a poignancy about how he says these words. You associate flutes with a ban. Bans are bad, or so they say. And he looks up and he says, they're not if you get to know them. There are so many young men across our city, young women across our city, in loyalist areas like Donegal Pass, who feel abandoned, who feel cut off from not only God, but other communities. Now, we can throw blame, and we can ask who are the victims and criminals of that, but what we cannot do is stop ourselves from hearing the prophet saying that he's not going to keep quiet until... We bring the presence of God. They sense their value and their love. Alpha. People coming, looking for some kind of solutions in their life. And yes, we can give them information. And yes, we can tell them the stories about Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And we can look at sin and we... Do you know the thing about Alpha that it seems to have worked with is that connection, that human connection, that sense of relationship, that sense of the words that you say in Alpha becoming a reality as we gather together in some sense of community. So what I'm talking about here is micro evangelism. Micro evangelism for macro social impact. Micro evangelism. Sometimes when we think of missions, we think of big things that we'll do once every 10 years and we'll have a speaker and we'll get a tent and we'll fill it and we'll, we'll do this macro evangelism. Actually, throughout the Bible, though there's moments of those things, there's this micro evangelism. There's this stopping with somebody who's up a tree and having dinner with them. There's this sitting down beside a woman at a well and having a conversation with her. There's this gathering a few people around you, a motley crew of disciples, and going with them on a journey. Micro evangelism. People who feel cut off, people who feel they're not loved. Maybe people in post-exilic or post-conflict trauma. Or maybe the traumas are just those traumas that all of us have in our home every week because we're going through all kinds of things within the family scenario. Microevangelism says, we are going to sit down at that well. We are going to invite that person for a meal. And we're going to connect. We're going to bring the love of God in to their lives. Because what the world needs, whether they know it or like it or not, is love. A secure love. Some sense of significance and purpose in the world, but I'll not get into Justin Bieber there. I was very fortunate, forgive me for making this sound wrong, but I was very fortunate with David Bowie's passing on Monday morning because I had a pause for thought written for Tuesday morning about Justin Bieber. And I wasn't happy about that. It was my guilty pleasure, and I was going to admit that i listened to Justin Bieber over Christmas. And then David Bowie died, so I was able to talk about David Bowie instead of Justin Bieber, and that let me off. But the Justin Bieber song I was going to talk about was a song called Purpose. It's the song of a young man who, as we know from the television and the news and the social media, has been going through a lot of desolation for what fame has thrown at him. And the salvation that he's found... Which is in Christ and in God, comes with a sense of purpose. Sense of purpose, significance that's wider than being a photograph in a magazine. People out there need love, security, significance, and purpose, they say, is the one thing that when that goes, suicide will increase. People need hope. Belfast needs hope. Now, right at the outset of the service, as if trying to plan that that's what I was intending when I started it, in that Psalm 36, we said that we come to the light to get light to go and be light. Finding the light in God makes us, allows us to be light. We come here, and I hope that the Psalms this morning the readings we've read, the reflections we've had, says to each one of us, we are loved. That love is secure. We are significant in God's body and in the plans around us for the universe and the world. We have a hope in Christ. The miraculous is indeed possible. And so now that we have sensed that and we're those who know that, then the call of the prophet... The call of the prophet is, I will not keep quiet. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. We live in a city among people in need of salvation. We are the presence of God. To be his hands and his heart to those we will meet in the week that is ahead. May we be that. In Jesus' name, amen.